Please take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 7. would really appreciate that. That would be great. Thank you, Pastor James, for leading us in prayer. We are Crossway Church of Goldsboro, and that fundamentally means the members and the elders, there's there's four of us. Uh, we are first and foremost always members before we are elders. So Pastor Ray is one of our elders. Pastor James, Pastor Ben is uh, Patrick Henry, right? His family is looking at uh, Patrick Henry College in the greater D.C. area. So they're attending a faithful church up there. This morning, as they have a bit of a weekender at that school, that'd be a school that you could consider or talk to Ben about if you'd like more information. Great to be together. I know I gave a slew of announcements earlier, but now it is our time with God's help to look in His Word. If you're physically able, let's stand in honor of the reading of God's Word this morning. Hebrews chapter 7, I want to read verses 1 through 10. There's a sense in which I count this as, as also chapter 6 because the, the chapter division is there. However, uh, the thought at the end of chapter 6, as we'll take note of, is the same thought as the beginning of chapter 7. So let's look and give our attention and listen carefully to Hebrews chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. Look or and or listen with me. Hebrews 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of, king, of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, King of Righteousness. And then he is also King of Salem, that is, King of Peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Hebrews 7.4 See how great this man was, to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Hebrews 7.8 In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor 
when Melchizedek met him. So we're continuing this series through the book of Hebrews. As I say, this is kind of like still chapter 6. Same thought as the end of chapter 6. So today, Jesus is better, Melchizedek. Jesus is better. I I didn't say Jesus is better than Melchizedek, although that is true. Jesus is better. That's the whole book of Hebrews. And then we'll look at Melchizedek. So let's pray together as we're still on our feet. We'll take a very brief moment of silence as we all pray silently. Lord, we want to worship you now through the preaching and the hearing and then following that by your spirit enabling us by the doing of your word. And so this is a time of worship. This is the central time of worship. But we also thank you. We pause and say thank you that we've had this opportunity already to worship through the truth of these healthy songs and through prayer. And I thank you for Pastor James' prayer. God, we address you immediately right off the bat as uh, omnipotent. We use these these big words that maybe we've heard before. You're you're omnipresent. You're omnipotent. You're omniscient. Lord, you are your God. And you are to be feared above all gods, lowercase g. So Lord, unite our hearts to fear your name this morning. Help us to see and to to rejoice in Jesus Christ, the Savior. Not, Not the blood of bulls and goats, but the blood of the perfect and spotless Lamb of God. This is what we need. And His indestructible life. Help us to see that he is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Help us, Lord, we pray through the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Look with me at verses 19 and 20 of chapter 6. Go back. Chapter 6, Hebrews 19 and 20, we have this. As a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. These will be some good verses to mark and maybe memorize. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is better, Melchizedek. Uh, No doubt uh, you've heard the news this week. The news report that I read from says this, catastrophic implosion, catastrophic implosion, the Titanic-bound submersible that went missing on Sunday with five people on board suffered a, quote, catastrophic implosion killing, as you know, everyone on board, said U.S. Coast Guard Rear Admiral John Mauger on Thursday. A remotely operated vehicle found the tail tail cone of the Titan about 1,600 feet away from the shipwreck, he said. The submersible was descending to explore the wreckage of the luxury liner, the Titanic, located 900 miles east of Cape Cod and about 13,000 feet below sea level. 
The title of the article, which I have not read yet, says simply this, Missing Titanic Subcrew Killed After Catastrophic Implosion. Dear friends, one verse that you need to know by heart, by mind, and take it to heart would be Hebrews 9.27. You don't have to turn there. Maybe some of you already know it by heart. You need to know Hebrews 9.27 from this same book where we're studying. And it says, do you know what it says? It is, listen, it's appointed to man once to die. And after that comes the judgment. Did you hear what that said? It's almost as if I could paraphrase Jesus from Luke chapter 13. If I could paraphrase what he says there in Luke chapter 13. Did you hear about these, these five people who died in such a horrendous way on the, on the submersible that was going to explore the Titanic? And this is, of course, a different story in Luke chapter 13. But Jesus says, in essence, he says, yes, I've heard. He says, and do you know that unless you repent, you will all likewise perish? Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed to man once to die, and after that comes the judgment. We're in Hebrews chapter 7 this morning. We do want to turn to one other place in a few minutes, but let me read to you for just a moment from the end of the book of Hebrews. Listen to what is said at the end of the book of Hebrews. Uh, things like this, let brotherly love continue. I'm, I'm just reading from chapter 13. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Uh, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. As you're listening to these little bullet point sentences, these standalone sentences, let me ask you a question to answer in your mind. Is what I'm reading right here, are these highly intellectual arguments or are these very practical statements? What do you say in your mind? Are these highly sophisticated, highly, you know, you've got to be, you've got to have three master's degrees to get this, or are these more direct, very, what we would call very practical statements? Listen to a few more. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Or how about this one? Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Remember your leaders. Obey your leaders. Pray for us. I hope, like me, you would answer in your mind, no, no, these are not really, uh, you don't have to be some ivory tower academic to, to read what I've just been reading in Hebrews 13. These are standalone sentences that address us directly about things like the love of money, about things like greed. Uh, the, there's, no, uh, there's no mincing of words here. These are very practical statements, right? About letting the marriage bed be held in honor. Love the brothers practice hospitality. These are what we would call very practical. And then we come to today to chapter 7. Look with me in chapter 7. And I just want to point out one really basic thing to start with. Just one basic thing, and that is at least in the book of Hebrews, 
you don't get to the so-called really practical at the end of the book. You don't get to those staccato statements that I was just reading in chapter 13. You don't get there without the middle of the book. It's a really basic statement. As far as Hebrews goes, if you're reading it through, then you will get this before you get that. And let's be careful. Let's be careful not to say that's really practical. And this, sorry, John, I just, I, man, this Melchizedek stuff, this is also, in the truest sense of the word, really practical. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. This is so practical, dear friends, that this is, he says, this is the point of his whole letter. What we're looking at today is part of the point of his whole letter. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Do you see that there in Hebrews 8, 1? He says, my whole point in this letter, my main point is to say this. Now listen to me and, and just look at the text this morning and listen. My main point is we have such a high priest who is what? Who is standing? No, he's not standing. And that's the point, dear friends. Unlike all of the Old Testament priests who died one after the other, all of the priests in the Old Testament lived, and while they lived, they stood, and why did they stand? Because their work was never done. And so they stood and then they died. Because it is appointed to man once to die and after that comes the judgment. But this one, this high priest, after the order of Melchizedek, is seated at the right hand of God. Why is he seated? Why is he not standing? Because his work is finished. His work is done. He needs stand no longer. He needs not die because he has died as a sacrifice for sinners and he now lives forevermore. Our text primarily is Hebrews 7, 1 through 10. Hebrews 7, 1 through 10. And it's very simple, okay? It's very simple. We see Melchizedek in the Old Testament, Melchizedek in the New Testament, which is Hebrews 7, 1 through 10. And then we say, and we, and we say at the end, what does this mean? What, what is this about? How do we bring this together? Okay, so that's it. Melchizedek in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, Hebrews 7, 1 through 10, and context. And, and what does this mean? What is this all about? Hebrews 7, 1 through 3. Look at the text. And just as a program note, I am going to have you turn one other place in a minute. Okay, so I want to give you, I want you to keep your place here in a minute when I do that. But that should be the only other place that I have you turn this morning. 
For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. The word Salem, by the way, is tied to the word shalom, which means peace. He is, Hebrews 7.3, without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Notice again, chapter 6, verse 20. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. If you'd like, you can glance back to chapter 5, verse 6. Chapter 5, verse 6, he also says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Chapter 5, verse 10. Chapter 5, verse 10, being designated by God, which is to say not by man, by God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So he's been teasing us. He's been teased, not in a bad way, but he's been teasing us with this high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. High priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 5-6, 5-10, And now begins the full explanation, 7-1. And let me say again, if chapter 13 is practical, and it is, I mean, go home and read it today. Just read the whole book and read the end. If you say, man, I really need something practical, read chapter 13. This also, and maybe in one sense even more so, is practical. Why? Because what we see here today is the excellency of Jesus Christ. We see the excellency of Christ. Keep your place in Hebrews 7 and turn to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. Remember our basic outline. Melchizedek. Number two is in the New Testament, but here we are. Number one, number one, Melchizedek in the Old Testament. Hopefully you kept your place in Hebrews 7. We're turning to Genesis chapter 14. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 14 in a second. You can look up on the screen at Psalm 110. You can just see this on the screen. Psalm 110 verse 4. If we're thinking about Melchizedek in the Old Testament, there's only two places. And it's Psalm 110 and Genesis 14, okay? Psalm 110 verse 4 says, The Lord has sworn, you want to keep that in mind as we were just singing, His oath, His covenant, His blood, His oath, an oath is swearing. The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Of whom does He speak here in Psalm 110 verse 4? Who's He talking about? Well, ultimately, he's talking about the Messiah. Ultimately, he's talking about Messiah Jesus. Yes and amen. Here, he's talking about the Davidic king, uh, the king who sits on the throne of David. 
Yahweh, the Lord, has sworn an oath. He will not change his mind. You know, the Bible says the Lord is not like man precisely because he doesn't change his mind. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand this morning, how many of you know someone who is fickle? Know someone who is fickle. The Bible says that's precisely who God is. Not like man who changes his mind. And there's some places in the Bible to where it's like, why do you say that? Because it says, it seems like there's some stories in the Bible where it even says the Lord changed his mind. And it's all a part of God's sovereign purpose. It doesn't take God by surprise when he changes his mind. Listen to me, he's purposed that every sinner who refuses to repent and refuses to bow the knee to King Jesus will spend eternity under his wrath in hell. He has also purposed that every sinner who repents of their sin, who looks to the cross called Calvary, where Jesus Christ shed his blood for sinners, he's also purposed that for those who repent and believe, you will be given a clear conscience and brought near to God for all of eternity. God is not a man that he would change his mind. He has sworn and will not change his mind. You're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110 verse 1. Again, just look up here. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus is coming again. This is about Jesus ultimately. This is about Jesus. Sit at my right hand. Stand? Nope, not stand. Your work's finished. Once and for all, Christ has died for sinners. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He rose from the dead. He ascended on high. He intercedes for his people. He's coming again. Even now, the excellency of the Lord Jesus Christ beckons to you and says, believe and live. Why will you die? Why will you die? when you can come to this most precious, most compassionate Savior, most powerful Savior, who is right now at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. Somebody says, man, I'm praying for you. And that same guy goes down the street. He's a Christian. He says, I'm praying for you. And he goes down the street and says, and he has a conversation. He says, thank you for sharing that with me. I'm praying for you. And he doesn't pray for any of them. But Jesus says, I'm praying for you. And he never fails. He never fails. Psalm 110 is the most important psalm for the purposes of the New Testament. It's the most quoted psalm in the New Testament for good reason. Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. There's two places in the Old Testament where we meet Melchizedek. I've just given you the central place, which is Psalm 110. Here's the first place. Do you know the name of Abraham's nephew? Remember him? Think of the store, you know, we've got in Goldsboro, Big Lots. His name was Lot. Big Lot. You can call him Big Lot, I guess. I don't know. Abraham's nephew was named Lot. And he was was taken into captivity in in ancient Palestine there by these kings. And Abraham comes and he delivers his nephew. Uh, His nephew was not perfect by any means. None of us are. But he delivers his nephew from these ancient kings. 
And so that's the story that's going on here. Look at uh, verse 18 of Genesis chapter 14. Genesis 14, verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Who, who was this man? He was priest of God Most High. Let me just go ahead and tell you, Melchizedek is a man of mystery. I don't even want to... Uh, I don't even want to try to say that I'm going to come close to solving this mystery because God apparently designed it to be somewhat mysterious. Because the point is, is Jesus, not, not so much Melchizedek. Uh, look at Genesis 14, 18. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. For many people, they see bread and wine and they think, man, that's interesting. How could there be a sub for lack of a better word, a subliminal reference to the Lord's Supper this early in the Bible. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not going to make a big deal of that. Melchizedek, king of Salem, probably, uh, I'm about 95% sure, I guess, that's that's Jerusalem. Salem is Jerusalem. I've already said it's, it's from the same word shalom, uh, which means peace. And friends, that's what we need. That's what we do not have in this world today. We do not have peace between man and the creation. Listen to me. There is no peace between man and the world or the creation. There is no peace in our relationships. There is no peace, but nobody cares about this. There is no peace between man and God. We're concerned to some degree about no peace between man and man. When I say man, I mean, of course, male and female. We're really concerned sometimes about no peace between man and creation. And that is important. That is important. But sometimes we get things so out of order. Oh, there's no peace between man and creation. What about peace between man and God? What we need is shalom. And this man is unique here. He's unique ultimately because he pictures and he anticipates Jesus Christ. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed him, verse 19, who is him? When it says he blessed him, who's that? That's Abraham. And said, blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Uh, just get the context again. Verse 17. After his return from the defeat of Keterlomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shava. That is the king's valley. So again, the context is, is that Abraham has defeated these kings. He's rescued his nephew Lot. And then when Abraham is on his way back home after defeating these kings, there comes this man of mystery. There comes this man of mystery named Melchizedek, and he comes out and he feeds them. He gives them bread and wine. He, he blesses them. He blesses God. And Abraham, it's not exactly the same, but as, you know, we're in the New Covenant era. And so we don't teach tithing here directly. Tithing is a good principle. But we took up our offering this morning, right? And some people... Think of that in terms of tithing, and that's fine. Uh, it's, it's an old covenant principle that can help us in the new covenant. But in, in, a, in a very weak parallel, they took up an offering, and, and Abraham's come back with all these spoils of victory. He's rescued his nephew Lot. He's, he's on his way back home from defeating these kings. And then there's Melchizedek, and Abraham gives him a tithe. He tithes to Melchizedek. He gives him a tenth of the spoils, Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7, back. 
Final landing place. Final landing place. Here is the perfect commentary on Psalm 110 and Genesis 14. The inspired, what does Genesis 14, what is that about? Because Melchizedek is very important for Christians, but he's only seen in the Bible in the in the early in the Bible for these for these Jewish Christians, for these Hebrew Christians, the Old Testament was their Bible. Listen to me. We are not under the Old Covenant anymore. We as Christians today are not under the Old Covenant, but the Old Testament is our Bible. The Old Testament is our Christian Scripture. Know God. Read the Bible. Know God. Read the whole Bible, including the Old Testament. It is the very Word of God, even though we are not, we are no longer under the Old Covenant. Now look at this inspired commentary. For this Melchizedek, Hebrews 7.1, this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And so you say, I still don't, I still don't know what was going on in Genesis 14. Well, he says it right here. Abraham went out and slaughtered some kings. And then on his way back, Melchizedek came out. Here's some bread and wine. Here's the, the Lord's Supper. And blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. That's literally what his name means. And then he is also king of Salem. Shalom, that is king of peace. Now, verse 3 shows you that these New Testament authors play fast and loose with the Bible. Huh? Huh? Verse 3 shows you that the New Testament authors, they teach us that you can just read your Old Testament, any old... No, no, that, that's... Look at what it says. Melchizedek, verse 3, is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. The point that he's ultimately making is this. The point that he's going to make is, Jesus is not like all of the Old Testament priests. By the way, this is super important. All of them came from the line of Levi. Think about Aaron. You could not be, you could not be Christian. You've got to think. You've got to think. Think with me. You could not be a priest in the Old Testament unless you had a genealogy, a record of your father and your mother. There's no way you could have been a priest in the Old Testament unless you descended from the tribe of Levi. Ultimately, which is traced back to Abraham and the first high priest being Aaron. The first high priest being Aaron. So what he's trying to do here in chapter 7, if you read verses 1 through 28, is he's saying, Jesus died and he rose again and now he's alive forevermore. And Melchizedek is a picture who anticipates Jesus and Jesus is our great high priest who lives forevermore. And if you are receiving this letter, dear Hebrew Christians, the author says, dear Hebrew Christians, I'm concerned for you 
I'm concerned for you. I don't want you to fall away. If you think that you can go back to the old way of doing things, if you think that you can go back to the old priesthood and go away from Jesus, who is our great high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, you're fooling yourself and you will end up in eternal danger. Now, he's not playing fast and loose with the text in verse 3. What he's saying is, here's what he's saying. In the Bible, in the Bible, it never says who Melchizedek's parents were. In the scriptures, it's never written in the Bible that he died. Or for that matter, that he was ever born. He knows what he's saying. He's simply saying on purpose, this priest was different. He was was not according to Aaron. He was not after the tribe of Levi. We are not told who his parents were. We are not told that he ever died. And so according to Scripture, you get that? So A.W. Pink says this. A.W. Pink says, the silence of the Old Testament scriptures concerning his parentage, who's his mama and his daddy, the silence of Genesis about that has a design significance. The whole thing was designed by the Holy Spirit in order to present a perfect type of the Lord Jesus. What I want to say to you is that this is incredible. The whole Bible. Please hear this has been designed by God so that there are these little real pictures all over the place that point to Jesus Christ. Can I give you just, let me give you rapid fire examples. And this is not me. This is what the New Testament itself says. Jonah, Matthew 12. Solomon, Matthew 12. Adam, Romans 5. These are people that God designed to point forward to his son. John chapter 6, the manna. 1 Corinthians 10, the rock in the Old Testament. John chapter 1, the lamb. These are things that God designed to point forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, you see it's all about Jesus Christ and him crucified for sinners. There's there's people that God designed to point forward to Jesus, like Jonah, Solomon, and Adam. There are things that God designed to point forward to Jesus. So go home and read the Old Testament and say, Lord, help me to see Jesus. And there's not only people and things, there's also offices, prophets, priests, and kings designed to anticipate to point forward to Jesus. Melchizedek is a type. He is a type of Jesus Christ. He is a type. Now, is some people say Melchizedek. Some people say he is, uh, he's, he's Shem. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Some people say Melchizedek was Shem. Other people say Melchizedek was the pre-incarnate Christ. They say Melchizedek is, is a short appearance, a short real appearance of who we know is Jesus Christ, but it'd be more proper to say the eternal Son of God. Listen to me. Some people say it's the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ. That's who Melchizedek is in Genesis chapter 14. It's a picture and it's an actual occurrence of the pre-incarnate Christ. I believe 
that there are times in the Old Testament when the Son of God, Jesus Christ, does appear. There's disagreement about that. I believe that. I'm not so sure that that's this. I'm not so sure that that's this. Because all of these different interpretations, well, Melchizedek is Shem. What I'm saying is Melchizedek is a man of mystery. I'm saying Melchizedek is a real man. I'm saying he's an exceptional man. He's a godly man. He's a flawed man because he's a man. We're all flawed because we're men. I'm saying he's a real man. I'm saying I don't think he's the pre-incarnate Christ because the text it says, the text says what? And the text is all that matters. It says he resembles the Son of God. He resembles the Son of God and everything written in the past, Romans 5, Romans 15, everything written in the past was written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. Let me ask you this morning. Let me ask you very directly. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? If you're a Christian, then the Old Testament was written and all that is in there was written for our instruction and for our comfort and so that we would persevere and so that we would endure. If you're not a Christian, you need to bow the knee, the prideful knee, because we're all so full of pride You need to look to the cross of Jesus Christ and understand that you are a rebel sinner and you need to come to Christ today and to follow Him as your Lord and Savior. He who is risen for you. He who is coming again for His people. All of this is written. All of this is designed by God. All of this is designed by God to point to Jesus Christ. And the point is, in chapter 7, the point is not that Jesus is better than Melchizedek. The ultimate point is this. Jesus is better than all of the Old Testament priests. Aaron, everybody who comes from Aaron, because Jesus is different, because the covenant that he brings is a better covenant. Melchizedek was not from Levi. He is a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Verse 4, see how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment, verse 5, in the law to take tithes from the people. That is from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. You've got to follow his logic closely. Christianity will not be a religion for somebody who says, I don't want to think, I just want to feel. God cares about our feelings. I do not like the error, the error of people say it's all about the mind. It's also about the affections. So praise the Lord. I don't, I, 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 I want you to sing. Singing is commanded. The men of Crossway Church should be singing. Christianity is about affections. It's about both. It's about hands and feet. It's about doing. It's about feeling. It's about thinking. And it's about all of those. And if you say, I don't, I don't want to think, well then you, you miss so much of the Bible. Because we are called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. He's getting a tight argument. It is tough. There's no doubt that it's tough. His logic is tight here in Hebrews 7, 1 through 10. But this man, verse 6, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. 
In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men. Okay, can you just stop? Can you just at least help me with what does that mean? Yeah, what that means is it was commanded that if you were a priest, you had to be from the tribe of Levi, you had to be descended from Aaron, and all of the other people in Israel who were not priests had to tithe to you. I'm a pastor, and you I, maybe I don't get paid with money, but you give me eggs and meat or something like that. But in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say, hint, 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 verse 9, hint, author, author is shining, I'm reading the Old Testament, here's the fancy word, typologically. I'm reading this as though God meant it to be real then and also to point forward to something that One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, one might even say that he paid tithes through Abraham. For he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. There's not a lot of hope going around today in many ways. We hear news stories about the uh, submersible and the Titanic venture to see Something, and we're reminded of Hebrews chapter 9, 27, that is appointed to man once to die. And, oh, by the way, this whole passage is saying, he lives. He lives. They died. They died. They died. They died. How many? How many of them were there? They stood. They stood. They stood. They died. They died. They died. He died, and he lives, and he is seated. But Pastor James and I, as he mentioned two weeks ago at our prayer meeting, which we again had this morning before the service, he brought up something that has also been on my mind. You have these movies that are made, and I want to think about the issue of hope as we close. You have these movies that are made, whether it's Clint Eastwood, who's more of a director now as he's approaching age 90 or whatever, and you take these real-life events that have happened and... They're incredible events, and you make a movie out of it. And so we had bad news this past week, but just over two weeks ago, just over two weeks ago, the news was incredibly good because it was incredibly bleak to start out with. It was so bleak that that's what made the news so good when the good news came. And the news was this. Maybe you remember it. I'm reading from June chapter, or not June chapter. I'm in the Bible. June 9th. June chapter 9, verse 8. Four indigenous children missing in the Amazon jungle for 40 days following the crash of their small plane were found Friday. And you've heard that, or maybe you haven't, but I'm just going to read it again. Four indigenous children missing in the Amazon jungle for 40 days following the crash of their small plane were found Friday. That's amazing to me. That is the stuff of an awesome movie. The title said this. The title of the news article from which I read, four children, including baby, four children, including baby, found after their plane crashed in Amazon jungle 40 days ago. The four children range in age from 11 months to age 13. Columbia's president said doctors have not yet determined their condition. The operation to rescue these children who were lost in the Amazon jungle for 40 days was called Operation Hope. Operation Hope, and you and I know, do you know, do you know that 1 Corinthians 15 says if Jesus is still dead today, dear friend, you have no hope. The reason that you have 
abundant hope is because Jesus is alive. Look at me, but listen more to the Word of God. The reason you have abundant hope is because Jesus is alive. And so, I wish we had time, and I'm about to close, I wish we had time to just simply read the rest of chapter 7. Because the payoff, although verses 1 through 10 is a payoff in and of itself, it shows the excellency of Jesus Christ. The payoff comes a little bit more so in verses 11 through 28, where I'll just give you one or two examples Verse 19, Hebrews 7, 19, For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, we're not under the old covenant as believers. We are not on the, under the old covenant, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Take note, dear friend, through which we draw near to God. Through which we draw near to God. That's everything. God doesn't come come into this world to say, do you completely understand Melchizedek? He says, have you drawn near to God? We have a better hope. The end of chapter 6, the end of chapter 6, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The greatest is love. There's three things that remain. Faith, hope, and love. We have hope today, and His name is Jesus Christ. Let us look to Him as we pray now. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for who You are. You are... God Most High. God Most High. And we thank you for the excellency of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray by your Spirit that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Help us to take up our cross and to follow him. Work in us as only you can do through your word. We thank you that Jesus is better. And we thank you that he is a high priest forever. Not after the order of Aaron, but after the order of Melchizedek. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.